0: Thank you, worship team. It's really good to have James Holt leading worship today. He and Rebecca and Elliot and EJ will be heading to the Dominican Republic in August. And it's great to have the Clarks with us as well from South Africa. And they're here with us for the summer. So it's awesome to fellowship with each other, it's awesome to grow in Christ together. Now, my view of how God grows Christians is really simple. God, by His Spirit and through His Word, grows Christians. But that's not all. God grows Christians by His Spirit, through His Word, with His people. With the Church of Christ, with the blood-bought Bride of Christ. Now, we are exploring the often neglected, often misunderstood, but always popular topic of repentance. Now, that is a word that some people misunderstand, Wayne Grudem said, Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere desire to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. Martin Luther opened the Reformation, nailing the 95 Thesis to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. The very first thesis was this, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance life of a christian is meant to be one of continual repentance repentance as a way of life at its most gospel centered repentance is the glad response of the soul at seeing a fresh glimpse of the glory of christ seeing the glories of christ in the gospel leads us to repentance now when i started this series i promised you that i would not say everything there is to say about repentance and i'm keeping my word keeping my promise today though i want us to consider the most important aspect of repentance for christians the idea that it is a way of life particularly this i'm going to put the main point up right away here before we read god's word gospel-driven repentance that's the kind of repentance we're talking about not legalistic repentance not law-driven repentance but gospel-driven repentance is a spirit-enabled way of life that is fostered in christ-centered community i want you to take your bibles and turn to acts chapter 20 and stand with me if you're able we're going to read verses 17 through 24 We're seeing not Paul the missionary here, but Paul the pastor speaking to the Ephesian elders, giving them a a wonderful message that really does illustrate this idea of a life of repentance. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 24. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. my course and the ministry that i received from the lord jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of god let's pray lord god we thank you for your word we thank you lord for your power we thank you for your presence with us we pray that you would comfort us where we need comforting that you would convict us where we need convicting that you would challenge us, Lord. Lord, that you would grow us up in Christ. Lord, for those who don't know Christ, I pray you would draw them to yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. The Bible was really clear about repentance. We have seen its provision, that it is a gospel gift from God, a gracious gospel gift from God, it's not our gift to Him, and we've seen the priority of res- repentance—that is, expected response of those who belong to Christ. It's the expected response of the elect. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sins. You confess your sins, and then what happens if, if that's an initial repentance? Is that you you get saved? You become a believer. You are converted. You are justified by the blood of Christ but if you are already a christian it is an ongoing growth in christ it is a the sanctification process as god is at work in you both to will and do his good pleasure so gospel driven repentance is a spirit enabled way of life fostered in christ-centered community that is what god wants you to see and to embrace every day of your life as a christian so if you are a christian if you are a follower of christ If you say, I've been washed in the blood of Christ, I'm justified by Christ's finished work on the cross, then what your favorite thing to do every day needs to be is to repent. And you go, wait a minute, no, I'm supposed to be worshiping Jesus. Well, yes, when you're worshiping Jesus, you're repenting. You won't be sinning when you're doing the right things. Let me give you another way of saying it. If you're a Christian, you'll be continually drawing near to God because of the finished work of christ because god is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure now repentance is a really good thing thomas brooks said it's the vomit of the soul but we all know that that process is an uncomfortable one that leads to joy and repentance is a really needed thing one out of one people sin and will continue to do so at alarming rates and repentance is a really tricky thing A lot of people think if you just feel bad enough about your sins if you just get yourself in a miserable enough frame of mind that you've repented and that's just not the case repentance the greek word is metanoia and there's a lot of different variations of that but it is a change of mind resulting in a change in your behavior so people walk around saying i'm a follower of jesus and nothing ever changes in their observable life they're fooling themselves So, repentance has different elements. You've got the intellectual element. You know that sin is wrong. But you've got an emotional element. You you feel sorrowful over your sin. You even begin to hate it. Then there's the willful element where you decide to turn from sin, you renounce it, you disassociate from it, and you live in obedience to Christ. That's the idea. Repentance is often called total surrender because it is the response of the total person to Christ. But, repentance, and this is where the problem comes in, repentance is often seen by a lot of believers as an archaic holdover from a bygone era. You know, it's the typewriter of the Christian life. It's, it's the eight-track tape of the Christian life. It's obsolete in their mind. It's, it's for out-of-touch, eccentric collectors of relics so it's neglected it's marginalized watered down put down even frowned upon i mentioned last week that if you're preaching only faith in christ and not repentance you're preaching half the gospel a lot of people are walking around you know with half a gospel and they're wondering why the christian life doesn't work because they're missing the picture i think Starting today, I'm going to start calling repentance the new doing the dishes. The new doing the dishes. When I was growing up, my least favorite chore in the entire universe wasn't taking out the trash, wasn't picking up after the dog, it was doing the dishes. Me and my two sisters, we had this dishes duty on a rotation we had a dishwasher at my house it was (laughs) me no we had a dishwasher we had the appliance known as dishwasher that was back in the 60s and 70s so it was like avocado green or something but here's the deal here's why i hated it my dad whom i love very dearly would make me basically clean the dishes all the way before you put them in the dishwasher I mean, to this day, I I just can't bring myself to do that part of the dishes. I'll clear the table. I'll set the table. I'll rinse the dishes. But I cannot put a dish in a dishwasher that isn't completely clean already. So here's the deal I would rebel. I said, well, if that's the case, we're not going to use the dishwasher when it's Mike's turn. I did the dishes by hand you know what I'm saying now here's what would happen though you know I'm a kid I start playing with the water it would take all sorts of time to get this done and I'd get in trouble for getting water all over the place but I would rebel I was like this is not fair not gonna do it not doing it the way you tell me to do that's why repentance is the new doing the dishes because we re, we really, um, I think, look at repentance much like we do the way I looked at doing the dishes. You know, you kind of resent the fact that someone wants you to do it a certain way, and you think, well, that's unreasonable, that's unfair, God is, must be wrong in his expectations, so we rebel and do it our own way. And so people are walking around thinking they've repented because they felt really bad, or thinking they've repented because they have some other idea of what that is. Now, in contrast, you have gospel-driven repentance based upon the finished work of Christ and I want you to go to Acts 20 and I want you to I got to set the stage for this and you know the book of Acts is the story of the gospel going throughout the whole known world in that day Uh, uh, over the first 30 years after the resurrection of Christ here's the spread of the gospel and it went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the known world at that time uh, you pick it up the story at about Acts chapter 18 you've got Paul leaving Antioch to start his third missionary journey so that means he's already done two and he goes through Galatia he goes through present day Turkey um, he's, and he's, uh, Phrygia is the, the, what it was called then but he strengthened the disciples that he made on his first journey that's what he's doing he's visiting the churches but he gets to exi- uh, uh, Ephesians, uh, Ephesus excuse me uh, it gets to Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. He spends three months preaching the gospel to Jews. But then opposition happens, and it gets so bad, the Jews start a riot. Paul leaves town uh, and goes, actually goes across town. For two years, he, he reasons daily in the halls of Tyrannus. Doesn't leave town yet, but amazing things start happening. Uh, people start getting saved, God is doing tons of miracles people are being delivered from Satan's power uh, people decide they're going to burn their, their, um, their evil satanic books that were worth 50,000 pieces of silver the silversmiths who made shrines to the goddess Artemis of the Ephesians um, feared that their business and their temple would get shut down so they start a riot then he leaves town he goes to macedonia goes down to greece spends three winter months there in corinth Then he heads back through macedonia in the spring crosses over to troas and i love what happened there he preaches all the way to midnight wouldn't that be awesome i am thinking this is so cool he's preaching all the way to midnight and a teenager is sitting in the in the window falls asleep and falls down to the ground below and dies Paul goes downstairs raises the dead and keeps preaching the rest of the night you can check it out all the way till daybreak doesn't that sound fun it does to me you should try that one of these days what do you think on the first floor Paul raises the dead keeps on preaching the gospel till daybreak so cool then he sets sail and passes Ephesus because he wants to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost but then he stops at Miletus look at uh, chapter 20 verse 17 he's in Miletus that's 30 miles south of Ephesus and he sends for the elders of the church in Ephesus for them to come to him come to me meet me in Miletus now yes he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem but he wants to speak to these leaders he's in this boat out at sea he sends word uh come there's 30 miles or so meet me there so he's waiting probably had to wait for a couple days and he gives him the message that we just read in fact i I, we read like two-thirds of the message there's a little bit more to it now paul probably would have loved to see the whole church in ephesus but his time was short so he says this is what's indispensable i'm going to talk to the elders i like to say as the leadership goes so goes the church And he wanted to talk to the elders in Ephesus so that the church in Ephesus would be healthy, would be joyful in Christ. What we read in these verses is really Paul's way of saying, here's how you serve the Lord. Here's how you you live for the good of Christ's church. Here's an example you should imitate. So let's look at verse, uh, go to verse 18. I want you to notice three things about the way Paul was operating, how he explained how he operated amongst the Ephesians. Remember, a spirit, uh, gospel-driven repentance is a spirit-enabled way of life fostered in Christ-centered community. Notice, first of all, Paul's manner of life, verse 18. He says to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you. But the whole time he was there, they had had three years of face time with Paul. They knew Paul. There were people that were saying all sorts of wrong, evil things about Paul, lies about Paul, but they wouldn't believe it because they knew the man. And he says, I I served you, excuse me, "I, I served among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials. Humility, tears, and trials. Clearly they knew what was going on, they knew what had happened, they saw, and he's like, this is the way I live. So he's pointing it out. You know. You watched. You experienced it with me. Then you notice his mode of ministry. Verses 19 and 20. Serving the Lord with all humility. With tears and trials. Then he says. I did not shrink. Verse 20. From declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you in public and from house to house. 21. Testifying both to Jews and Greeks. So his his mode of ministry was I'm proclaiming I'm teaching I'm testifying he says I did it with you very personal he wasn't just telling all these facts to a group he didn't know he was living life with them They they were doing life in Christ together and he's saying I've been doing these things for you for the sake of Christ's body for the sake of Christ's church and that's what he did he proclaimed he taught he testified But look in verse 21 of the message that he preached. If you would boil down all the things that Paul preached. In fact, in the book of Acts, this is the only time that Paul is actually speaking to a believing group. Speaking to a group of elders. All the other times you see a sermon of Paul's or a message of Paul's, it's to a group of non-believers, whether they're Jew or Gentile. Here he is talking to believers, and here he is is boiling his message down. He's saying, okay, if you put everything together that I had said, here's what it would boil down to. Look there at verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, in the preaching of Paul and the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of, of John the Baptist and the preaching of, of, of the other apostles as well, sometimes faith is listed as what needs to happen. And in all of their preaching, sometimes repentance is listed as what needs to happen. I mentioned this last week that when when there's only faith listed, repentance is assumed. When there's only repentance listed, faith is assumed. But here it's both together because that's the way it is. He says, here's what I did. Here's what I taught. Here's what I testified of. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's clear about it. He's concise. He's unafraid to say what he did. There's no apology here. The most lovingly humble, bold thing a leader can do. He lived it. He taught it. He played show and tell with them. Then go down to verse 24. Verse 24, he says, I don't account my life of any value to myself or precious to myself. What are we always doing? We're always looking out for number one. We're always trying to protect ourselves. Plenty of people put all these walls around themselves to protect themselves from getting hurt from other people, right? Paul says, I am not worried about myself. He's being Accused of all sorts of things. He says, I'm not considering my life as the precious thing that needs to be protected. What did he say? He said, I want to finish my course. I want to finish the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9. Paul kept telling the story, and it wasn't about, wow, hey. Check out how God knocked me off my high horse. You know, like some people have a lot of joy in telling the juicy, uh, salacious parts of their testimony. That's not Paul. Paul told his story so he could get to the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, so he'd get to the shed blood of Christ. He says, I want to fulfill, I want to finish the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And here's what the ministry was to testify, to be a witness. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was what it was all about for Paul. It was all about the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. Go over to chapter 26. Now Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, you'll remember. And he starts having little trials in front of all sorts of rulers. And so he he is sent to to the council he is sent to felix the governor he is sent to uh, he, he appeals to caesar he goes before agrippa and bernice and he makes a defense before king agrippa acts chapter 26 look at verse 19 he's summing up what he has just said and he's, he had just told his story about being on the road to Damascus and God knocking him off his horse and blinding him and giving him a message. God got his attention. God led him to repentance. He says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, verse 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea and throughout all the regions of Judea and also to the Gentiles. What? What was he saying? What was he testifying? What was he he declaring? That they should repent and turn to God. That's not all. Look at the the rest of that verse. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So don't just say you believe, don't just say you've repented, but it should show in your life that something's different. Performing deeds in keeping with repentance. That's not the first time this is said in the Bible. Jesus said the same thing. John said the same thing so I think we need to look at this and think wow here's Paul who had great humility what did he say I served the Lord in humility why would Paul be humble he had all these these, resume points that were like amazing why would he be humble because he knew what his life was before he came to Christ before Jesus got a hold of him he regretted his sins. He regretted his former manner of life. He even said, I'm not worthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church. Bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. What that means is your life will change and grow in Christ likeness. If you know Jesus, something will be different. By God's Spirit, through His Word, and with His people. You'll be amongst believers um, knowing and being known. Things will come forth such as humility. Paul says, I, I serve the Lord humbly. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the, to the Philippians, and he's actually in jail as he's writing. And he says, in verse 1 of chapter 2, if there's any encouragement of, if in Christ, any comfort from my love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind Having the same love, being in full accord and one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. He says, Let each of you not only look out to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, being found in likeness as, as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. God highly exalted him, gave him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee would bow, humbly, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's this humility that should come out in the life of one that has repented and believed And keeps repenting And keeps believing But isn't there always a roadblock To something good in Christ I remember driving up to the mountains once Into the, into the Sierras And we were taking this kind of back road And there's this huge boulder That had just fallen off the mountain And was stopping traffic Couldn't go around Just had to wait Everybody had to go around it really slow there's always a roadblock or a boulder, and, and it's the same with repentance. One of the things that, that fights against humility is our love for idols. Our our idol our love affair with false gods. Mark Lauterbach, in his book, The Transforming Community, put it this way Sin is not a transgression of the law, it's not just a transgression of the law of God. It involves a turning from God. Well, that only makes sense, doesn't it? If repentance is turning from sin to God then, then sin is turning from God To evil So turning from God in unbelief And turning to something else as a God When I sin I am saying to God I don't trust you I don't believe your way is good and best I don't believe you are wise In place of the true God I, I worship pleasure A lover A lie My money A career advancement My reputation we cannot worship God in sin we cannot sin without worshiping idols deep in the heart of man there is a powerful pole of idolatry we want to worship this other God because of the pleasure it brings us that love for sin and our false lover can actually keep us from repentance instead of humility there's pride Paul says I, I serve humbly what else would come out in our lives this, this fruit of repentance what came out in Paul's life not just humility, but also unity. I, I think of it when he says, you know, I, I serve the Lord with humility and with tears. He's in community with other believers, and so he's going to be feeling deeply for them. And there were at times when he was teaching that he had tears in his eyes. Because he cared so much for them and wanted them so much to experience joy in Christ. but the roadblock to that is kind of easy to see sometimes instead of unity instead of a christ centered community pursuing peace we want to just be hard-hearted and stay that way hard-hearted towards god hard-hearted towards one another In fact, go with me to romans chapter 14 romans chapter 14 now here's paul talking about the great things that are based upon the shed blood of Christ and Christ's righteousness that is ours in Christ he starts in chapter 12 and says be conformed don't be conformed to the world be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then he gets to chapter 14 and he basically says don't judge your brother and don't cause your brother to stumble don't judge your brother look at verse 4 Romans fourteen four who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the lord is able to make you stand he's saying you're not god you're not that person's master they're not serving you they're serving jesus stop judging them for the decisions they make verse 13 don't pass judgment on one another any longer it was happening He's telling them about their life in Christ, and and they're judging each other for decisions they make. He says, "Don't pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never." Let me make sure I read that right. Yes, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Isn't it interesting? If you judge your brother, you're basically being legalistic and saying you have to think the way I think. If you if you lead your brother to stumble, you're saying. Come along with me and join in the sin that I'm enjoying. You see, basically it's I'm going to condemn you for your choices or I would like to condone and celebrate. I want you to condone and celebrate with me. (laughs) Come on, let's let's do this. Both sides of the coin are wrong. Paul says don't do that. Instead, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and the building up of one another. The mutual upbuilding he says in verse 23 whatever does not proceed from faith is sin you're judging your brother you're not living by faith you're causing your brother to stumble you're not living by faith you're sinning you need to repent of that isn't it interesting that when we lead another into sin now we're creating the need for multiple repentances but unity will will come in repentance is fostered in Christ centered community the church is a family rooted and growing in Christ. That's the way it should be. Which means the members need to know each other and love each other. Choose to love one another. It's a family, brothers and sisters. You don't always like your brothers and sisters, but they're yours. You've got to learn to get along. You've got to learn to like them. How many times do I hear people go, yeah, I went on this family vacation. Oh, it's so good to be home. Oh, I went and saw the in-laws. Woo! I'm going to re- visit my in-laws this week. I'm going to love it. going to be awesome Christ centered community one more thing I think comes out here and and I got to tell you it's hidden it's it's not right readily available to be seen here but you know it's there and I'll I'll prove it to you But, but abundant joy one of the things that's going to come out as the fruit of repentance is abundant joy you're going wait a minute Paul's saying he served with tears and in trials They know what kind of trials he went through. He got beaten up. He got put in prison. In fact, you go back to um, Philippians, go to the the first chapter of Philippians. He's writing from jail. Think what this man says. Verse 3 I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He's in jail in Rome. He's thanking the church in Philippi for their gift that he sends. He's gotten joyful news about them. He is rejoicing. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're partakers with me of grace. You're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He is joyful. There's this abundant joy that comes you know what Paul said in 2nd Corinthians we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing that's what happens you know all the things that the church must be when we're repenting when we're believing when we're doing what Christians do by the power of the Holy Spirit through his word and with his people abundant joy comes and all the things that the church must be are evident when that happens there's God-centered worship not man-centered worship not self-centered worship there's Christ centered preaching It's not about five ways to have a better life But what did Jesus do And how does that transform my life And, and God dependent prayer happens And gospel change relationships happen God's doing some mini revivals Amongst this body I'm hearing about them And I'm rejoicing As people are going to each other And making things right And wanting to be thriving in Christ Rather than being at odds with one another But up against the abundant joy is another roadblock. It's self-deception. Longer I live, I think to myself. I, I deal with a lot of Christians, and I think most Christians are not as bad as they think they are, and they're not as good as they think they are. Like, <laughs> so, man, I'm the lowest worm that ever crawled the face of the earth. No, not the lowest you know I'm doing pretty good in my relationship with Christ well probably not as good as you think we're really apt to go into self-deception I don't think we need we should presume that our hearts are tender oh I've got a really tender whenever you are self-proclaimed you're probably wrong you know I'm probably the most humble person I know and I've got the, the, the most tender heart that I am acquainted with you gotta get to know some people gospel-driven repentance i love how tim keller puts it consider how the gospel affects and transforms the act of repentance in religion the purpose of repentance is basically keep god happy so he'll continue to bless you and answer your prayers this means that religious repentance is selfish self-righteous and bitter all the way to the bottom in the gospel however the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with christ that will weaken our impulse to do anything contrary to god's heart see religion forces you to repent well i gotta keep my account up with god uh things aren't going so well in my life the christian life isn't working so i better put a little bit more in my account god will owe me see the gospel frees you to repent the accuser, he will push you to repent. He'll push you to self-righteousness. You've got to listen not to the accuser, but to the advocate. Your advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The advocate leads you to repentance. doesn't push you and smack you. He, he lovingly leads you. I said that gospel-driven repentance is a spirit-enabled way of life. That's the only way to truly repent. Any other way is going to be self-centered. Any other way is going to be uh, religion, and not a relationship with Christ. It's fostered in Christ-centered community. You got to be close to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Someone needs to know you. If you've been at this church for a long time and you haven't gotten to know anybody, I'm sorry, but that's your fault. Bug someone. Get to know them. Now, if, they, if everyone rejects you, come and talk to me. I just don't think it's going to happen. I'm hoping it doesn't happen. Look, there's got to be a moment of surrender in your life. And I think there's a lot of them. I think there's many surrenders all the time where we basically realize, I've been going the wrong way, and I thought I was going the right way. Many uh, turning backs to God... <laughs> When I was in high school I had a dog that I dearly loved His name was Shammy He was a golden retriever And um, one day he got out of the yard And I was chasing him down the block We lived close to the corner of Lakewood and Florence in Downey And lo and behold he's Going right there And I'm thinking to myself Shammy's not going to run across the street He's smarter than that Well he runs across Lakewood Boulevard Didn't get hurt and I'm just thinking what is going to happen next next thing you know he runs into oncoming traffic on Florence and I'm yelling Shammy no and a car hits him I watched my dog get hit by a car one of the worst things I ever watched car hits him spins him around and he comes running right back to me he didn't die he came right back to me he walked next to me the whole way home Jesus wants you to walk next to him all the way home. And do you really, I don't want to guilt you into this, but do you really want God to have to have a big thing in your life happen for you to repent? I think the little repentances are really golden. I think they're really sweet. Every one of us has to decide what we're going to do every day of the, every day of the week. And you got, you got to deal with God, with eternal things, You got to deal with yourself With your internal issues Every one of us has them And you got to deal with with people On the external stuff You just have to Or else you're going to be miserable There's a lot of miserable Christians And some seem to be really Okay with that I'm not I'm just not Worship team's going to come back up We're going to sing a song As we usually do I want you to think about it, though. I want, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I don't want you to just sit there and go, I'm just going to do this between me and God. Because you know what? It will encourage the group. If you if, say, I'm not a believer, but I'm going to become a believer, well, come down and talk to one of our pastors and elders. Come sit in one of these front rows. Pray if you want. Kneel on the ground in, at the front if you want. Whatever, whatever you need to do, just do it. But just know this don't leave this place not right with God. And you might have this list of people you know go, I got to go to so and so and talk to them. I got to go to so and so and talk to them. Well, resolve to do it and don't let the day pass without doing it. Let me tell you, repentance is joyful. Real gospel centered repentance is joyful, not, not sorrowful. Because of the glory of God in Christ. You don't repent by straining and striving. You repent by yielding and surrendering to God. Repentance is that soul is the soul, your soul's glad surrender to God when you get a fresh glimpse of the glories of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge to you that our life does not consist of the clothes we wear, or the house we live in, or the car we drive, or the position we hold. It's the condition of our hearts before you. Some of us are feeling the, the weight of joblessness or feeling left out or marital strife or other relational conflict. Some of us are feeling the, the trap addiction to substances and God substitutes like lust or pornography or cheating or some kind of self-righteousness that we just think makes us better than everybody else. Lord, break us of our pride that we would glory in Christ Who was able to lift us out of despair and give us joy? We pray in Christ's name.